speaking this morning of the importance of the church and Sunday school. And the truth of the matter is that the church should be distinct from every other institution. That there ought to be something very different about the church. One of the things that I think we don't address or or something that we minimize is the importance of how we treat one another. God speaks about these things as something that is very important. How we treat one another. Now here's the principle. We are at the very least to treat other people the way that we Ourselves desire to be treated. But Christ goes even further within the church that we are to treat others as even more important than ourselves. Which ones are we to treat that way? Which ones within the church are we to treat as more important than ourselves? And so, if there's someone who has very little, they, as far as the world is concerned, are unimportant. They have no voice, no, no, uh, no standing in the community. They, in all intents and purposes, amongst just about anybody that they're around, are, are unimportant. How are we to treat in our own dealings, in our own one-on-one time? Well, how are we to treat them? Well, the Scripture teaches us that we're to teach, treat them as more important than ourselves. When we, least, when we lose the heart of Christ in the way that we treat one another, and by the way, these things can come upon us in a day, in a moment. Where, where things begin to unravel just because we, we treat one another in a way that, that we ought not treat one another. To really mess up the church on one Sunday. Now, should it be that way, unfortunately? But it can happen. The Lord here in chapter 11 is speaking about something that was happening on the Lord's day. And it was messing up the church. And he became so serious about it that God made it clear that what we see is something very small. God says, this is so big that there are people that I took out of this world because they were doing this. They would come together on the Lord's Day and they would have feasts of charity. We read about these also in Jude. We have... Uh, charity feasts and where we come together and we eat. Now we're going to see that this may seem like something that could never happen to you. And I hope in, in some instances that would not be the case. But the principle here is not just the way people treat each other at the supper table. But it also goes into every time that we interact with one another. How are we going to treat each other? 
Are we going to treat each other as if we are the cat's meow, the center of the universe, and nothing else matters? Or are we going to treat one another as if the other person is more important than ourselves, at least in that moment? You see, they would come together, and there were folks there in the church that the world saw as marginalized and nothing in society. Likely, these people were, were uh, slaves. Now, uh, don't think of the way we think of slaves in terms of the American slave trade, which was its own set of wickedness. Um, but they, they, were, they were poor. They, they did not have a lot of the way of resources. They would come together in these potluck dinners, and that's probably what it was. It probably was some type of, uh, of course, they didn't have crock pots back then, but they probably brought food. And these people, what would they bring? If they brought anything, it would have been very meager. Very meager. Maybe they would have brought some type of oatmeal, or we, we, we might call it gruel. Maybe a thin soup with no meat, right? We live in such a society that we have become snobbish in a lot of ways. You know, I thought that one day I'd like to go to the Philippines. You know, my brother Fulford said, you ought to come and help teach for a couple weeks at the college. I said, I'd like to do that. Then I began to think, what would I eat? If I let whether or not I go to another country be based upon what I eat, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a bad thing. Right? If it's watered down vegetable soup and I'm unsatisfied, that's a bad thing, isn't it? Or Papa New Guinea with the hogs. You know, he's invited me to go. I never go. I'd love to go in a lot of ways. But then I think, what would I eat? <laughs> we think it's a small thing. And we think that because we live in America. We have big meals, steak fries, ladies' dinners. We thank God for our food. What if our steak fries became rice fries? And that's all we had. Would we still be thanking God? Yes. I think about that sometimes. I thank God for the nice steak dinner. What if, it were, what if we never were able to have steak? We, we, we had those hot dogs that say pork and chicken, right? <laughs> No beef at all, just pork and chicken. You know what that means. It's not even, who knows what part of pork and chicken it is. My son wanted to tell me one time, he saw a video on YouTube or something. He said, you know it's in hot dogs? I don't care. <laughs> but what was going on here is there were families that were bringing hot dogs, and there were other people that were bringing steak, and the people that were bringing steak said, I ain't no hot dogs. I'm getting the front of the line, I'm getting steak. And those folks who brought the hot dogs, they didn't eat what they brought. That's what they were doing. Then they get together and they take the Lord's table. And God said, they took that Lord's table on board. And there's some people I took out. That's what God said. You mean God is sent? 
saying in this passage that he brought people to death. Now, if they were saved, they're in heaven. But he brought them out. He took them out of this world. Because they went into the front of the line and didn't let the poor people eat the good stuff. That's exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly what God saying. The people of God who live in America, in the day in which we live, we need to, number one, prepare ourselves to not be so affluent and to have a, a, a within us a willingness to be thankful and satisfied and content with food. And not just what kind of food. Right? I don't know if a preacher's meaning like this, but I, some of the older preachers that had talked to me one time I went to a preacher's meeting and the church had, uh, I think they had given ham and cheese sandwiches on mother bread or something like that. And uh, this is so sad. But this preacher was praying, so I can't pray for this. How can I thank God for this? That's bad, isn't it? Because within us is the capability of treating people this way. It's unseen, it's ugly. And God doesn't tolerate it. He really doesn't. And so we have to have the heart of God. There are people who um, have difficulty living life. And they're not rich, they're poor. How are we going to treat people who are poor because they don't know how to live in this world? God says we need to treat them as better than ourselves. And if we have an opportunity for somebody to eat steak and they never get steak, they get the steak and we get the hot dogs. Because guess what? If you're like me, when we're done, if you really want steak, you can stop the stopping shop on the way home and put it on the grill and get home. And that's literally what God is saying. He literally says, when you go home, you these folks, when they go home, they're not going to get it. And so if you don't get to eat anything, when you go home, get something to eat. There are folks like that. Folks who, who come to our church and they, they're not rich. They don't get nice things. And, you know, we need, to, we need to be willing to say within our hearts, in our minds, about the Spirit of God. I'm going to do something nice for that person. I want them to have something they wouldn't want to have. I'm going to treat that person better than myself, and I'm not going to put myself in the head of the world. I'll show you. First Corinthians chapter. 11. Let's start there. Verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Underline that phrase. You come together not for the better. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which 
approach or approved may be manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Now, when he says drunken, he's not talking about being drunk. It means well satisfied. One's hungry, and one's well satisfied. By the way, just a moment, just, just real quick here. Most of you probably came in here well satisfied. You drank all the water you wanted, all the coffee you wanted, all the breakfast you wanted. There are other folks who come to church hungry, right? And on days like this, when they're coming together to eat, there's one thing that's for sure, they should go home hungry. And by the way, if we go home and we say we're hungry, are we really hungry? No. We're not really hungry. We use the term hungry very loosely in America. In other places, hunger means I haven't eaten for days. Here it means we haven't eaten for hours, right? But when he says they one is hungry and another is drunken, he's talking about someone who's coming to church well satisfied, they ate breakfast, and then they ate, and they went home, and they're well satisfied. Another person came in, they had nothing to eat or drink, they're hungry, they're thirsty, and they left the same way. That'll never be the case, right? If there's anybody in our church who comes in, and they're hungry or thirsty, and we come in, and we have eaten and drink, drunk and everything we want, that person should not go home hungry or thirsty, right? They got homeless. But that's what he means. Um, verse 22. What? Have we not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God? And shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. But the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup. And when he stopped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. And you come not together under condemnation, and the rest will I set forth when I Now we can sit here and we can say that that is a very small thing. 
because it was not small to God. Right? It was not small to God. In fact, how big was it to God? God said, there are some of you, you partake of the Lord's table, and you feel no conscience about having eaten and left other people hungry. And, and you took the Lord's table, and I took you out of the world. Right? He's not talking about murderers here, is he? He's not talking about the adulterers in the church. He addressed that in chapter 4. He's talking about people who are never hungry, eating, and leaving others who are always hungry, hungry. And God says that's a big deal. He doesn't. He says that's a big deal. Now, we need to understand that, number one, this is within the context of the church. This is within the context of the church. He is not saying or ascribing to a national idea of socialism. The Bible is against socialism. He is against communism. He is against these in the scripture, and though we're not going to spend time trying to prove that, it is undoubtedly true. He said, a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. And so, there is, throughout scripture, the teaching that we are to be those who work in order to earn the things that are needed. And so God is not ascribing to that. He is talking about the literal relationships that we have. You see, government is so unfeeling, aren't they? They're so unfeeling. Politicians get up, especially at a particular persuasion, and they begin to talk about how bad people have. How bad people have, and we need to make sure that they have. But they have no clue, do they? There's no feeling, there's no personal interaction in the church that ought not be that way. Who should be able to come to church? Everybody. And if they come hungry, they ought to leave full. Physically and spiritually. But here were people who were face to face and they were still on the Politicians said their conscience with bills. Brethren, we ought to feel the feeling that people have if they're hungry. And say, I don't want you to be hungry. I want you to have something nice. This is Folks ought to be able to come to the men's state pride, and maybe they never get sick if they get that. And if we're going to run out, I'll be the first one to not eat. I'll, I'll, I'll just eat the potato. Right? Why? Because I can go home and make steak. Right? But we cannot be unfeeling towards people. God is very clear about that. And so here, Paul says, listen, verse 17. I do not praise you in this, because you do not come together for the better, but for the worse. Why should we come and gather together as a church? It should be for the better. In every sense. In every sense. 
we should not we should lead better, not worse. Now, how did they become worse? Because of the way they treated one another, right? They didn't treat each other well. Those who had treated the others as nothing. And so, verse 18, for first of all, you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, and they which are approved may, uh, may be made manifest among you. Now, what are heresies? Heresies are, are unbiblical teachings, right? It is the principalities or way of thinking that don't come from the Scripture, but that come from other either the mind of man or the mind of the devil himself. What heresy are you talking about? It's an interesting question. What does he address? God is literally saying here that people have a heretical way of thinking that says, I'm first, you're not. And that's a pretty common thing around the world, isn't it? But it's something that is often never thought of as a church doctrine. But the church doctrine of love is essential. Love, by definition, when we're speaking about the love of God, is love that is willing to do what's best for the other person, even and especially at your own sacrifice. This is what love is. This Corinthian church. God addresses this more harshly than the man who was sleeping with his stepmom. He says, This is not good. I did not pray for this. There is some kind of long headedness in the church where people think that it's okay to do this. He says, It's not good. Verse 20 When you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For if eating, everyone taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunk. He said, I brought the I brought the steak, I brought the fried chicken, I'm gonna eat the fried chicken. Not a good thing. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in or despise you the church of God? And listen to this. What are they doing in not loving? They're despising the church of God. That's what they're doing. The word despise there means to, to belittle, to belittle, to make little of, to make, to make of it as nothing. Why? Here's why. Pay attention. You expect this everywhere else but the church. Right? You expect this everywhere else but the church. You expect this at any community event that people would fight over who gets the best food and whether or not poor people should get it. The amazing thing about the church, which has so made countries like ours so much different than every other place in the world, is that even people who aren't saved have that mind about it. But we're seeing that decrease today. We are definitely becoming a more self-centered nation. But he's saying you despise the church of God because you are acting as if the church 
is just like every other thing in conformity. But the church is different. It is distinct, isn't it? It doesn't do it the way others do it. It does it the way God would have us do it. God would say, go home and and let those who never get it get it today. You despise the church of God. You shame them that don't have it in them. What shall I say to you? I shall, shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. I don't know what praise they were looking for. Maybe they were talking about how we partake of the Lord's table and, and we remember the Lord. Yes, you might, but you shame you shame them that don't have anything. And you don't then you take the Lord's table as if it's all okay. He said, no, no, no. It is not good. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. By the way, Paul lived that way, didn't he? He lived to be good of other people, even in his own sacrifice. He did not take a dime, so to speak, from the Corinthian church. Instead, he worked with his own hands and provided not only for them, but for others within the Corinthian church by his tent name. He did not live a lavish lifestyle. Paul was not rich. But he did, he's saying here, um, I received of the Lord, which was uh, which also I delivered unto you. And so he's saying, these things are the way I have, I have done this, and now I am giving you this. And so then he goes into what we call the Lord's table. This ordinance that we partake of. And here, notice what the Lord Jesus says. He says, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What do we remember about the Lord? Let me ask you something. When you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, what characteristic comes to mind of what he did in You know what? It's okay. it's okay to say love. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did Christ die on the cross? He died because he loves us. What do I mean by that? By the way, I don't mean that he had some emotional attachment to us. He went to the cross because it was best for us. And he did it in his own sacrifice. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, too. Jesus died because he lost us. There's no doubt about that. Amen. So, if we're going to remember the Lord, and if you're like me, I remember Christ's love. But if I, in the same mind that is thinking about Christ's love, have just done something so unlovely as to say, hey, at least you'll get a little juice and a cracker. Right? And I am unmoved by what I've done in not letting you eat good food, even though you never get to eat good food. And now we're going to go partake of the Lord's table, and I'm going to say, Lord... I'm so thankful that you love me. And we just did something so unloving. God says, those two don't go together. Right? That make sense? 
It doesn't make sense that I would love you and you would do that. At the Lord's table, if you're going to remember me and how much I loved you and willing to sacrifice my life for you, then you ought to love one another. You ought to love one another. After the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What a great thing he did in dying on the cross for our sin. He died for me and he died for you. We ought to remember this. And if we're going to remember how he loved us, we ought to remember to love one another in the same fashion. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. He died for you. Rich man, what are you willing to do for others? Are you willing to consider others as more important than yourself? Which is what Jesus did on the cross. We'll see that in a moment. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And so, <clears throat> what did they do that was unworthy? Of partaking of the Lord's table. What did some of these people do? Specifically. What did they do? Feed themselves. Yeah. They were, they were self-centered. Literally, they ate food and watched other people not eat. Even though they could go home and eat. That's bad stuff, isn't it? That really is unseemly. It really is wicked. It is a great and terrible sin. Then they returned to the Lord's table. Said, thank you, God, for remembering and loving me. And so you show forth the Lord's death to the God. They were on, and they took unworthily. And so verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know what I think Paul's saying there? He's saying, examine yourself. Now, in their case, what examination was he trying to get them to examine themselves in? The way they were treating people at the feast they just had, right? Hey, remember back 15 minutes ago? When you said, I'm going to get the good food and I'm going to leave the bad food for everybody else? By the way, let's think about that when we have our own dinners too. We don't need to think, take 25 meatballs and leave none for everybody else. Still, everybody has food when they get home. That's true. But let's consider others. Amen. Let's thank you for many truth. Where men do not get up to go eat first. Now, that can only last so long. Somebody's got to be first, right? Somebody's got to be first. That's why we say ladies first, so they can figure it out, right? <laughs> but it's commendable to say, you know what? I don't need to get the best stuff. I can go last. I can go last. I appreciate men who say, you know what? I'll hold off until you. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Now, everybody can't do that, and someone eventually has to go first. And don't put us in a situation 
where we have to beg people to go get something to eat. I've been there, and it's uncomfortable. But let's consider one another better than ourselves. And so again, Paul says, listen, when you come together to eat, verse 33, tarry one for We can literally partake of the Lord's table and bring judgment upon ourselves. Verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation. Now, he's not saying that we lose your salvation and go to hell. The word damnation means to be judged. You bring judgment upon yourself. What was God's judgment? Some people got sick and some died. That's what he means by sleep. And by the way, when he says sleep there, everywhere in the scripture where the word sleep is used, it's used for saved people. And so saved people die and sleep. They don't die and go to hell. They don't believe in soul sleep. That's not what he's saying. He's using it as in language that reminds us that we go to heaven to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Right? So he uses the word sleep. Jesus used it with Lazarus. And so I don't think Paul's saying here that they were unsaved, that God killed them because they were unsaved. In fact, I'm sure that's not true, because later on he says, but when you are judged, you're chastened of the Lord. Who does God chasten? You can read about this in Hebrews chapter 12. He chastens those that he loves. In fact, everybody who's a, who's a Christian at some point should know what it means to be chastened by the Lord. Because God chastens the ones he loves. If we go through life and we, we don't have an experience of God chastening us, then there may be a problem. In fact, God says, he uses the word bastard. In other words, you're like a child, but you're not really. In other words, you may be going to church, but you're not really saved. God chastens those he loves. And so God is chastening these people, even with death. But my goodness, what if we just said, you know what? I love you. And you can have what is mine. And I'll get more later. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is so important. We'll close. Start here in verse 1.
Why should we treat others as better than ourselves? Who is better, Christ or us? Christ is better. Now, in any given situation, could you say that you're better than someone else? I guess you could. Be a foolish thing to think. We're all sinners. But maybe you are better. You're better because you have more stuff. Right? I have more stuff, therefore I'm better. All right. How should you live as Christ? How did he live? Thinking others is better than himself. Who's the others? Me. What do I mean? He died for me. I didn't die for me. He died for me. He thought I was better than him in the sense that he was willing to die for me, even though I am not better than him in any way. Right? Notice what it says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. By the way, did Jesus think he was robbing God when he declared that he was God? No. Why was he not robbing God when he declared that I am, for example, he said, I am, I am uh, Yahweh, Jehovah. He said that. Why was he not robbing God when he said that? When he said, I am the same God who spoke to Moses. When he asked, what is your name? I said, I am. I'm the same one. Why was Jesus not robbing God? He said, he is God. So he's not robbing God. But notice what he did. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men. What reputation, by the way, did Jesus Christ have when he was born in this world? He was born in a manger. He was sought after the king to be killed. Right? He was born with no reputation, not in king's homes, but in a manger. And he continued to have no reputation throughout his life until he died. Now, did some revere? Absolutely. But many cried out for his crucifixion that last day. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That in the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Things of heaven, things of earth, things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, Jesus died with the understanding, again, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you know what his joy was? Me. You. All the redeemed, that was his joy. He died for us. So did he gain by dying on He gained exactly what he wanted, but he sacrificed himself in love. I would say this. There is no sacrifice that we can make in this world that we will not gain much more from God. And so if we decide to go hungry, knowing that we can eat like if we decide to put someone else's needs before ours, 
and say, I will help you, even though I might have to sacrifice something for you. I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. You will not lose. There's no doubt in my mind. But we must be people who are willing to love. Willing to do what is best for the other person, even at our own sacrifice. And to do any less is to despise the church of God. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Now, had God commanded that people love one another? Yes, but what was new about it? You love as I have loved you. Christian, ours is not the golden rule. Ours is the great and new command that we love one another, even as Christ loved us. Not that we love as we love ourselves, but we love as Christ loved us. We fall short of that, no doubt. Brethren, may God help us to love one another in the church with such zeal that we're willing to sacrifice for for someone else. Amen? Amen. No matter who they are, no matter how long they've been, whether it's someone who's been here many, many years or someone who's brand new, that we're willing to do what's best for the other person. God makes a big deal about this, doesn't he? He doesn't say it's a small thing. He says it's a big thing. In fact, it's central to the purpose of the church. We got it. Take a look at James chapter 3. Notice what God says about the poor and the rich.
telling God, you know that you cannot go that way. Reply just a moment. If you're not saved, you have not trusted Christ with all your heart, that He died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead. Would you communicate to God right now in prayer? Jesus to save you. If you just pray and ask him to save you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. 